All right, so John, back on episode 141, you had a conversation with a buddy of mine, Etienne Hardray, and I wasn't able to make it. I set up the whole interview. I wanted to be there, but something came up. I remember I think I was sick, and so I felt horrible. You did a great job with the interview, but there were a couple things that were missed, and I figured, hey, what better way for us to get the remainder of Etienne's story than for on a trip when you're down here to actually be in Locals Barbershop and Salon here in Colorado Springs and yeah. talk to him and take the listener to this really cool place. Amazing place. And ATN, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, remember, uh, you know, after I always actually look at the interview and after we've gone through it and I listen again, and that's how we come up with how we title it. And the title of episode 141 is From Brokenness to greatness. And man, it was just a powerful story about actually looking at the potential that we have inside us and how do we harness it and how do we bring it out into the world. And we're sitting in this amazing place that I'm going to have you describe. But this was just an idea many years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Ten years ago, nothing existed. Nobody was employed. You didn't have a space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just to recap, because we're going to really talk about um, what I'd love to have you share about is kind of your vision and how do you see your place as a kingdom entrepreneur, what you're doing in the world, the lives of the people here and through business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but bring us back uh, and just kind of give us a, just a little kind of a snapshot of the journey up through today. Yeah. So in that last episode, when we talked a lot about my past and that journey that I went on, because I think it's useful for everybody to kind of go on a similar journey of self-discovery. I remember I asked that question you know, God, what do you want me to do? Yeah. Which is like the question everybody asks. Right? Do you get an answer? Yeah. He said, well, what do you want to do? And that was the shocking thing to me. What do I want to do? Like, am I allowed to answer that question? Or is, aren't I just supposed to do whatever I'm told to do? Or isn't there some like map in the scriptures that I'm supposed to be following and I've missed a left turn somewhere? Some divine plan that you're supposed to figure out and follow? Exactly. Exactly. And the problem was my life didn't fit that. My life's such a mess, you know, such a fragmented collection of pieces that I was having a hard time putting together. And that journey took me about six months to not do anything. I did nothing except for try to figure that out and search for things to do and, you know, chase down rabbit trails. And you were working during that time? No, I wasn't. That was my problem. Okay. I was without work. I was without what I felt purpose, and I was trying to find it. And I was wrestling with God over it because I said, you have brought me this far. You trained me. You educated me. You gave me experience. I've done really cool things. What am I supposed to do now? That's what we talked about last time. Yeah. Um, And how old were you at that time when you were wrestling? So that was... Six years ago. So I was 30 years old. Okay. My experience with what is locals had been I had a CPA firm and I was helping early stage startups get off the ground. That was one of the various projects I had done before. And a friend of mine actually founded locals in its previous iteration. And for five years it had executed to its plan kind of partly. Mm-hmm. And after five years, he was done with it. He wasn't in a place to take it to its next level, and it wasn't in a place to continue on by itself. And it was kind of falling apart in some very key ways. And at the same time, I'm going through this self-discovery process, not knowing what God has next in mind for me. Pretty much right as soon as I finished that process, right as soon as I settled in my mind, wow, this is what God has in in mind for me. And what was that process? I'm sure a lot of people are out there going, wondering, sure. how did you get closer to finding some direction? It was being honest with myself. I wanted to be broad enough that it would give me some options and narrow enough that it would allow me to say no to things. Mm-hmm. But I just got honest with myself. What are my strengths? What are my limitations? And so, for example, I came up with five things that I needed in my next gig. And I think we talked about this last time. But the five things in a nutshell, were I needed to be the leader of whatever it was I did next because I had been part of teams and frustrated in certain ways. That's not to say that I had the ideas, but I needed to prove myself as a leader. I needed to prove myself as the decision maker. 
Second, not just though being a part of teams though, you running the CPA firm were giving all this advice to these entrepreneurs exactly. and they weren't following through, they weren't That's listening right. to you. That's exactly right. I was frustrated in hearing, uh, you know, giving good advice and watching people fail to execute. And in my opinion, one of the major and failures there was consequences, the right? Yeah, yeah, and the consequences are the destruction of good ideas. The world is lost when entrepreneurs fail. Um, it loses in a myriad of ways. The people who join those teams in the hopes that they'll become part of building something yeah. lose their drive to join those teams again. The entrepreneurs lose face. They lose credibility in the ecosystem. They lose all their resources. The people who invest in it, they lose their money, and that money goes other places. It gets diluted out into society. Um, and those guys get burned. And I watched good entrepreneurs say, I'm not investing in any early stage anything anymore because I'm tired of getting burned. They don't have enough capacity to lose and lose and lose. It's very destructive. And so the, the idea that everybody got behind never makes it to market. Um, the world never sees it. I mean, I've been part of some of the coolest technologies, some of the coolest things, the coolest ideas. And the world never saw them. Never saw them. You wouldn't even believe it. Yeah, and that broke my heart. That was sad to me. So there was this drive in me that I needed to execute. The second thing on my list was that I needed a team around me. So it couldn't be a huge team because I'd never run a Fortune 500 company or something like that. But I also knew from my experience at the CPA firm that me by myself was a dangerous thing. It was very unmotivated. And also it wasn't as powerful as it could be. I need people around me, and this is me, other people have different needs, but I need people around me to share my vision with so that together we can create something that's bigger than anything I can do on my own. Yeah. So that was my second thing. The third one was the sky needed to be the limit. I refuse to invest my life in mediocre things, things that can only grow so far and then they're artificially capped. There's a lot of those. Um, franchises can be artificially capped in a yeah. geographic range. Um, you can be capped by a particular industry. There can be rules or regulations or laws or any kinds of things that keep you in a bubble, in a box. I was unwilling to participate in any of those things. So I needed the sky to be the limit. It needed to be an idea that could grow to millions, to nationwide, to international if I needed to. The fourth one was I needed to go international for any reason. And the reason for that was because I had gone internationally before, done work in some of the poorest places on the earth, seen the beautiful people there, and I just needed to continue that relationship with them. The world is a huge place. Anybody who has such a narrow vision of their business or their impact that they narrowly define it to their own community without regard to the greater global community, I think is doing themselves a disservice. They're ignoring more impact that they could have. And I had just seen that that impact was easy, and it's there, and it's easy to get on a plane now. And most people speak English, and the money is easily transferable, and you can get a lot of good done anywhere in the world that you want to do it. And I have four boys, and I wanted to take them and show them the rest of the world, and I didn't want to just do it through tourism. I wanted to be there for a reason. So I said, look, God, in my next gig, I got to have some reason to go overseas and do something that's more than just sightseeing and taking pictures. So um, that was my fourth thing. My fifth one was I refuse to live life differently on the weekend than I live it during the week. If I'm going to do God's work, if I'm to work in God's kingdom, then I am going to do it every day that I wake up without fail. I can't punch the clock, make some money, and then on the weekend turn into God's servant. What does that look like for you doing that? seven days a week how do you differentiate what you're doing here running this company versus when you're at home yeah with the kids or you know with a group of friends that come over or what so there is no differentiation it's I follow Jesus and Jesus gives me direction and I run up against a challenge and I ask him for advice on it and I always have the same goals in mind in each one of those situations that you identified and I'm guessing you say that because either yourself or you've seen others that almost have like, I sh I'm showing up different values. My, yeah. I'm putting on this different mask every time. But if you've observed that, what are you seeing? 
Well, I started my career that way. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of school, I graduated with a degree in computer science, a degree in accounting. So here I was working in large privately held businesses, basically crunching numbers and computers. And it was incredibly boring. Um, it was necessary work and taught me a lot, but it was just work. It didn't really feel purposeful. I was making money for somebody else. And on the side, I was a volunteer worship pastor for the children's ministry. So I felt within me this conflict, this gap between what I did Monday through Friday and what I was doing on Saturday and Sunday. And that was where I talked to God about it. And I said, shouldn't I just quit work and go become a minister full time? Shouldn't I do that? Wouldn't that be the honorable thing to do? And God said, no. He said, I want you to stay in business and be my missionary there. He said, I can send missionaries a lot of places in the world by teaching them the culture, teaching them a foreign language, and sending them. One of the places I have a really hard time sending a missionary is upper middle class entrepreneurial America. They will only listen to one of their own. That's what I heard. And so I said, okay, I can become that guy. I need to become very good at that. And yet I never lost the need to serve God. If God's kingdom is where we serve, that's what I was made for, his glory is my ultimate end goal, then I'm not gonna show up and punch a clock and make money unless that's where God has designed me to be, has told me to be. He's really my boss. You know, it says in the scriptures, whatever you do, work as though working for the Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's what guided me. That's what pushed me into that. And, and now I have finally, here at Locals, married the two things, which for a long time were separate. But they ultimately came together here in the work we're doing here. So let me just summarize. First of all is you wanted to be the leader, be in charge. Yep. Have a great team. Yep. Unlimited potential. Yep. Go international. Yep. Honor God in all you do. Exactly. And if you type all five of those into Google, a barbershop popped up. <laughs> no. <laughs> Believe it or not, no. So locals, where we are right now, it is a barbershop. It's yep. local salon. It's here in Colorado Springs. And I would love you for you to share how you took that, what you've yeah. been downloaded. Because I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs we have in our audience. There's business owners. They want to bring the... You know, uh, Steve and I absolutely disagree with this whole concept of secular and sacred. That's Amen. not how God sees it. It's all woven together. Mm -hmm. I also don't believe in, you know, this whole work-life balance. It's all woven together. Exactly. It's our life. And everything we do is we honor the sovereignty of God, whether it's cutting somebody's hair, exactly. how we deal with an employee, or our kids. That is us being an ambassador for the kingdom. So I'd love for you to exactly. talk about how you mapped as you went through this process into what you did do next. So I wish that it was pretty and systematized, and I wish I could write a book on it. I can't. It would look a lot more like a jumble of messed up notes scribbled on random pieces of paper scattered all over the attic, to be perfectly honest. Um, this is... Like you were talking about before, like you felt like it was all these little bits and pieces exactly. of a puzzle that you were just trying to make sense out of, right? And it was more like... God started putting the pieces together and I began to look behind me and notice that the path I was walking on was a good one. But in front of me, it looks like it's falling apart and totally in disrepair and I'm building it underneath my feet. Which I guess is the nature of being an entrepreneur in the first place, right? Those of us who are willing, what's the one great definition of being an entrepreneur? You're, it's like being thrown out of an airplane with all the raw materials of parachute and you can build one on the way down. Yes. You know? Mm -hmm. So... That's the way it feels. To be perfectly honest, and I love the work that you do, John, in this area, because it's so critical. Us as entrepreneurs have no one telling us how to do this. We are beginning to realize that there is no sacred secular divide. But putting it into actual practice has become a whole different problem. I hear many people talking about it, or about what they intend to do, or about even what they had done. But there are very few people teaching another entrepreneur how to do it in the fire of the day-to-day -day grind. Yeah. For example, I mean, I have examples of things that my, where my faith and my business stood at odds with one another. And I did not know how to react. So, for example, I 
put some of my employees through barber school. And the way that I was able to do that was I gave them some of the money. They paid part of their way, and I, paid an, I gave them basically a grant. The grant was in the form of a loan that was forgiven over time as they worked for me. Because I said, if I'm going to pay for your barber license, then I want some certain amount of time out of you. But then it's forgiven. So if you work for me for two years, then this loan that I've given to you will be paid off. It's just forgiven month by month over that two years. So if you leave in a year, you'll still owe me half of it. If you leave tomorrow, you'll owe me the whole amount. And if you wait till two years, you can quit the next day and no harm, no foul. You've done your time. I'll give you a big hug and yeah, tell you I love you on the way out the door. Exactly. Yeah. So I put four employees through that and all four left within three months. Okay. And, and I'm guessing they didn't give you a check on the way out the door. Uh, they did not. And they, I held in my hands their final paycheck. And my loan was written such that I was allowed, under the rules of the loan, to take the balance out of their final paycheck. That's what they had agreed to. And I'm still sitting there, wrestling with it. What would Jesus do? How is this different than other business work? You know, like, just than any other secular business. This is a secular agreement. They are not Christians. How do I represent Jesus well in this? They signed a contract. They totally signed a contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I heard God say was, and he said this to me through the advice of some other people um, who are Christian mentors, and I heard God say, everybody else in these people's lives holds their contracts in their face and forces them to adhere to them. You be the only one that doesn't. You be the only one that's different. How does Jesus do life? Does he forgive our faults more often than rub our nose in them? I wanted to provide grace where there's usually condemnation. And it wasn't that much money. I could afford to forgive it. That was the other thing. But I talked to other good Christian businessmen who gave me advice. You signed a contract. They signed a contract. You should execute it. It's a bad business deal. Why would you not? Why are you even having a problem with this? And true, from a purely secular business perspective, true. That's not wrong. Mm-hmm. But what is God asking me to do? See, I've learned as I get further down this journey, life is not about success. Life is not about achievement. Life is not even about building a cool business like this. Life is not even about building the kingdom of God. Life is about obedience to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's all that it is. I don't know what God is going to ask me to do tomorrow. Much like I don't know what question you're going to ask me next, to be perfectly yeah, honest. Neither do I. So it's all good. <laughs> but I know that I have an obligation to answer him. When he says do this or do that, it might be totally different than all the books that I've ever read about good business. But I have an obligation to obey it. That's what it means ultimately, in my opinion, to be a kingdom entrepreneur is to be somebody who's so sold out for obedience to Jesus that I will do business his way. I don't know what that looks like because he hasn't told me everything. But I will be obedient to him and I have made that commitment in my heart ahead of time. And the reason why that's important is because it's so easy to fall in love with the fame, to fall in love with the money, to think that balance in your bank account is shielding you from risk. It's not. It's the hand of God that shields us from risk. Yeah, I've seen <laughs> my entire company that I worked 90 hours a week for for two and a half years be wiped out in 60 days after the internet bubble popped in 2000. It was gone. We didn't see that one coming. Exactly. And on paper, I was worth multiple, multiple millions. Man, I was feeling pretty darn good about myself. Exactly. And then it was... <laughs> so question exactly. for you. I think you bring up a good point, right? There's so much in Scripture... But there's not a lot of things that are like, where's the reference that I go to in Jeremiah or in Acts or Romans to deal with like this specific, right? How do I deal with this employee or this right. contract 
or maybe this beautiful space that we're in, you've probably, what, it more than doubled the size after more, your yeah. next door neighbor moved out. It's incredible, right? There was probably a lot of decisions going into exactly that whole process. So what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis, right? There's a lot of people out there that want to absolutely be talking about what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. Just follow Christ in every decision, right? Mm -hmm. Acknowledge that sovereignty. And I think it sometimes feels a little bit harder in the business context than maybe, you know, how I interact with my wife yeah. or my boys, right? Or the committee I'm on at church. So how do you do that day-to-day -day when you're in the middle of the grind? First, I started by learning something about Jesus that seems obvious, but the church seems to forget quickly. For a long time, I didn't treat Jesus this way. Jesus is hes a personality. He is a being. Mm -hmm. We can relate to him. He's not a book. He's not a law. He's not a distant, unrelatable force. He's a friend. He's a friend. Mm-hmm. And a friend is probably a good way to put it because you can wrap your mind about how you relate to your friends. Yeah. If you're in trouble, you call your friend and your friend helps you. If you're stuck on the side of the road because your car craps out, you're going to call a friend and a friend will come and pick you up and take you home. If you're moving across town and you call your friends, your real friends will actually show up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you will find out who your friends are in a hurry. That's exactly right. And so the first thing I realized is that I'm not looking for a reference. I'm not looking for a scripture or a command or anything. I have a living, breathing friend. And you want advice. And I want advice from him. Yeah. And I can ask him face to face. Isn't that what the scripture promises? Mm-hmm. Like, not through parables and riddles, but as a friend, face to face. That's how I can talk to him. And so I do. That's the first thing that I do. I do talk to him. And that seems a little weird. So, for example, I had this one tough time. It was a stressful week. I had employees that were having a terrible time and were threatening to quit and were having problems with this and having problems with that. And I don't remember all the circumstances around it, but I do remember the massive mountain of stress I felt under. And I was sitting in my house and I would just gotten off the phone with my manager and I was overwhelmed. I was totally, utterly overwhelmed. I'm, God, this is not worth it. It's not working. I can't figure a way out of this. I don't know what to do. And he said, just go be with me. Go be with me. Go be with me. I was like compelled. I stood up. I grabbed a cigar. I got into my car and I started driving. And I got to a park nearby here, Red Rocks. And you're not supposed to smoke out in the areas, but I got way out, like off the beaten path. And I lit that cigar and I sat there and I stared at the mountains. I did exactly the opposite that the books tell you to do when you're in business. I got out into the wilderness and I sat down and I rested. And I must have sat there for an hour with nothing just silence and then I got my phone out and I put some worship music on put my headphones on and just listened to music must have sat there for another hour and then I couldn't sit still anymore it was like the floodgates of heaven opened up and I had all the answers I needed I had all the energy I had all the restoration I had everything I got up and I immediately went back into the office and I immediately got work done and I immediately solved all the issues and I immediately had the answers uh, it's like I didn't ask any questions. I didn't have any agenda. I didn't even know what the heck I was going to do. But yet that's so counterintuitive because we're such a reactionary culture where we have to be moving. We have to be doing something. We're in this outrage cycle right now where a kid wears a MAGA hat and all of a sudden he's like the devil. And oh no, the other side's coming out and everyone has to be outraged. But you know, I also think that a lot of people have the wrong perception of an entrepreneur or a leader, right? That you need to actually be the expert, that you need to have the answers, that you need to have the plan in the moment, mm -hmm. that you're the one that should be making all the decisions. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Your job is to take all those around you and mm -hmm. sow into them and give them the knowledge they need. Give them the experience. You got to teach them. You got to train them. Equip them. Give them the tools that they need to do their job. So that, guess what? And then you have to trust them to be able to make decisions and learn. Because mm -hmm. you know what? I have messed up a ton. 
And so many people, though, they're afraid that if I let you go do something, I go, ATN, go ahead, and you don't do well, then it reflects poorly on me because mm -hmm. my identity, instead of being in Christ, my identity is in the success of my business and my employees. And that also sets up a dangerous dynamic and also creates very poor decision-making. Mm -hmm. So how do you separate? I don't know. Did you ever kind of feel like that need to have the answers, be the guru, be the expert? Sounds oh, like yeah. Okay. How did you kind of reconcile that yourself? I know a lot of people struggle with that. Oh, yeah. I never have, but I figured ah. I'd ask you. <laughs> it's so humble. I know. I know. Yeah. You strike to the heart of it. I don't know if you've been reading my mail, but that's my problem. That was my challenge. Growing up, I was the kid who always had all the answers. I was an intellectual. And the cool part about what God's journey in my life, and we talked about this in, the, in, our, in our last interview, we talked about my time in foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, the cool part about that was that it broke down some bad habits in me. And one of the first things that it broke down was this need to always have the answers. I realized that it was not making me friends. And I realized that friends was where it's at. You mean like the kid on Polar Express who knows everything about the train? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody, he's just annoying. <laughs> yeah. And nobody wants to hang out with him. They're like, geez, will you please stop opening your mouth? <laughs> Go away. And that's exactly who I was. Mm -hmm. And... Breaking that in me because I realized I was never going to survive in society if I continued to act this way. People didn't like it. People didn't want it. And the honest people in my life would tell me so. And that feedback was super helpful at a time in my life when I could still do something about it. So I was young. I was in high school, early college. And I just got the message loud and clear and said, okay, I'm going to have to do something about this. And I stopped having all the answers. I just stopped having all the answers. I stopped trying to say, I got all the answers. And I was put in enough powerless situations. You know those kinds of powerless situations where if God doesn't come through, it ain't going to be pretty? It's not going to go well. Yeah. I have enough of those in my resume, <laughs> enough experience, so to speak. Yeah. I realize that the world is huge. And I will immediately drown in it if it were not for God, if it were not for his care for me. I'm one in seven or eight billion people. And even the odds that I wouldn't be born in India or China, it's staggeringly against the fact that I would be in America in this. If God had not chosen me for this, then there's no chance that I would end up being here. I mean, it's just the odds are staggering. And like you said before, one of the hardest demographics that exists to even witness to mm -hmm. is kind of that middle class, mm -hmm. small to medium sized business and business owners, especially yeah. in the Western culture. That's right. Yeah, they have no need to darken the door of a church. And I met a lot of them, especially as an accountant, I met a lot of them who are very nice people. And that's almost their problem. When somebody comes and asks them for money, they'll give it to them. Mm -hmm. So by golly, if there's a heaven, they're probably going to be in it. I mean, they've won everything else they've put their hands to, right? <laughs> it's true. They're they good. don't they're, need they're a They're nice savior. enough. They're good enough. Exactly. They don't need yeah. a savior. Mm -hmm. And they don't really think that people who think they need a savior, there's an intellectual difference there. They say, well, you're relying on something outside of yourself. I rely on myself. That's why I'm an entrepreneur. That's why I'm successful. In America, we have this very individualistic, self-made man mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. That's who we are. I have exactly the opposite. Because so many things in my life were outside of my control that I just realized if God had not been for me, I would have been obliterated. I would have failed. I would have not made it through the juvenile justice system. I would not have met the beautiful wife that I have. How did I overcome these things? They were largely outside of my control. Mm -hmm. That taught me a key lesson, that God has chosen me for this thing that he has put me on. He has chosen me for this role that I'm playing. I believe that about everybody, that he has chosen everybody for whatever role that they are playing. And if God is for you, who can possibly be against you? Yeah, and you talked about last time, it's kind of almost acknowledging, you know, coming from that place of brokenness, mm -hmm. foster care, a lot of the, the things, your identity, a lot of things in your head, right? Mm -hmm. And moving toward this place where you actually in, is embrace isn't the right word. I think almost acknowledged, right, the perfection in which you had been created and the greatness that resides in you. And not in an egotistical, arrogant way, like look at me because I did this and I have my name on this and got this award. 
but in the context of the kingdom that you are meant to do great things from God's perspective, right. not necessarily man's ever. And, you know, folks that are maybe not there yet or they actually know that they're not at the potential that they were created to be, right? You know that nagging discontent, that restless, that stirring. What do you say to folks when you meet other entrepreneurs, business owners, probably even your employees mm-hmm. that just feel like, you know what, I'm not at that place in life where I'm actually where I thought I was going to be or maybe even meant to be? First of all, take a deep breath. Just take that stress off your shoulders. We have an enemy. Mm -hmm. Our enemy desperately wants us not to achieve that potential. And he will use every tool in his toolbox to stop us from achieving that potential. And he has had thousands of years of experience on the human heart and the human psyche. He knows our weak points Fear, better than we know. Doubt, unworthiness, oh, anger, yeah. stupid things that we did. Yeah, lust. failure. Lust. Yeah. yeah. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. You've heard that old Harry Truman quote, leaders are readers, right? Well, John and I are big fans of a service that we subscribed to last year called Blinkist. Blinkist provides summaries of many of the top books on the market. Each book summary is divided into short blinks, hence the name Blinkist, and most of the summaries you can read in less than 15 minutes. If you're interested in leadership, check out The 7 Habits of Highly Effective People. Or if you want to brush up on your marketing, how about Purple Cow by Seth Godin? Check out a Blinkist 7-day free trial so you can have access to the entire library of more than 2,500 summaries. Their app is well-designed and you can export the summaries to your Kindle or you can do what I do is listen to the audio while I'm reading the Blinks before bed to get that extra reinforcement of those ideas. If that sounds interesting to you, you can find our affiliate link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com blink. That's eternalleadership.com slash blink. By using that link, it's an easy way for you to help support the costs associated with producing this show. I love Blinkist. John loves Blinkist. And we are confident that most of our listeners will love them too. Like I said, the link is embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink. Thanks. Here's what I learned. When we fail, we know the guilt that we have. The devil has won that round, so to speak. But there's a second round. Will you get up again? Do you believe that Christ's grace is sufficient to cover what you just did? And the devil is trying to convince you that it is not sufficient enough. And so many Christians, when they fall, or when they stumble, or when they fall short, or when they're not living up to their potential, they stay there because they believe the second lie. God's grace is not enough. You failed. But that's a works mentality. You're trying to earn your way to the kingdom. You're trying to earn your way to whatever you've defined as success. You're trying to earn your way to whatever you think God has in mind for you instead of saying God has that in mind for you. If God is for you, who could possibly be against you? If that is true, so what? Are you greater than God? Is your failure greater than God's ability to get you out of it? Is your insignificance greater than God's ability to overcome that insignificance? The fact that I knew nothing about haircutting, for example, when I entered into this business, is that a limitation on God's ability to use me in this industry? Or you looked at a barbershop that's a very nice retail space, strip mall, where you're like, wow, does that have the potential? Is that unlimited potential? Can that go global? Exactly. Right? But, you know, I want to say something else, though, too, because I think there's something I, maybe I struggled with also is just growing up, right? The reason, you know, to get an affirmation, to get an accolade, to get an attaboy, to be recognized, sometimes even have somebody say, I love you, mm-hmm. it was based on what I did, how much of it I did, and I worked. And, and when I became a new Christian, sometimes I'd read stuff in Scripture and be like, well, you know, that's awesome, but I don't think that applies to me. Mm-hmm. Because I haven't earned that yet. You can kind of see where I'm coming from. And what I had done is imparted my human relationships mm-hmm. onto the nature of Father God and Christ. Right. And i got to tell you, the thing that was absolutely liberating for me in this relationship and what I'm doing in the world was to really take the time. Like you said, you took six months. Part of that for me was to really try to seek and understand the true nature of God by reading a scripture, by being around other people. And what I realized 
that you know what? It is the most adoring, loving father, the most adoring, loving look you ever had from your mom or your dad. Mm-hmm. Right? That proudest moment. That is, no matter how stupid and a knucklehead you were, I could see Christ come home, give me a hug, and looking at me with that love in his eyes, going, Well, what did you learn from that one? Exactly. Right? Is there anything in there you did well that maybe we can build on? Mm-hmm. Come over here, buddy. Let's just figure out about the next step. No condemnation. Mm-hmm. No criticism. Mm-hmm. No judgment. Mm-hmm. It's all about, you know what, we're going to take that, and we're going to figure out how to take the next step together. I'm here. I got you. I'm your buddy. I'm your friend. Right? You know, something that struck me as I was reading, right, that God said, I want to call you friend, and I want you to call me friend. When I read that after my accident, and I been in God's presence completely took on a completely different meaning for me that that is true and that I'm not special that wasn't just like this revelation for me this is all the billions of people here mm-hmm. it's every single person mm-hmm. so anyway I want to share that because oh yeah that's you're exactly right about all of that Isaiah chapter 1 is my favorite chapter because of that because it goes through the history of God attempting to woo Israel back mm-hmm. and going through Things that seem like terrible tragedy, wars, wild animals, their crops failing, and all of these kinds of things. And yet what you hear if you listen is the breaking heart of God. And it culminates in that beautiful passage, even though your sins were like scarlet, just turn to me and I will make them white as snow. If we're going to, we glorify the name of God the most when we affirm his promises as being trustworthy. That's when we glorify God the most. If he says, I've got you. For example, my favorite story is the story of Peter walking on water. When Jesus says, yes, I am Jesus, come to me on the waves, Peter. And Peter gets out of the boat. That's when faith took action, right? Inside the boat. And he was solid on top. Yes. For a bit. (laughs) For a bit. He's like, what the heck? Because it's not his power. It's God's power, right? It's his focus on Jesus that enabled him to walk on water with Jesus. It was when he was distracted by the things around him, mm-hmm. the negative balance in his checking account, lack of great employees, the you know, trouble from a competitor, the whatever, that's when he began to sink and he had to reach out to Jesus. And the interesting thing is Jesus immediately reaches out his hand and lifts him up. He doesn't say, you stupid Peter. The heck? He does tell him, you know, why did you look at the waves? Don't look at the waves. Look at me. Mm-hmm. That's what enabled you to walk on water. It reminds him of what it was that he needed to do. Um, but yeah, it's the bleeding heart of God for us, how much he loves us. And God does not create broken people. God makes perfect people. The world breaks them. Yeah. We lose our way, and we allow the devil to convince us of lies that we believe about each other, about ourselves. And we take action on those lies and damage people or damage ourselves. Yeah. That's what happens. The devil doesn't do it. God doesn't do it to us. Right. So here we are. Now, a question for you, too. You know, in this role here, how do you see your role, I guess, in the lives of your employees, you know, the clients that walk in here? Because in a place like this, this cool, hip barbershop, you probably have employees from all backgrounds. They're dealing with all kinds of, like, real stuff, real brokenness successes, failures, right? What does that look like for you day-to-day with the people that are here on your team? Yeah, that was the hardest question. I thought I knew the answer to that coming in because Mm -hmm. I had experience in business. But all business is not created the same and all people are not created the same. And this industry, the hair salon industry, is unique. It has people in it that come from different backgrounds than your average white collar business. I mean, even if you were just doing a construction company or even if you were just doing a, you know, import export business or anything, a a retail sales business or something like that. I don't know. These people are creative. They're emotional. They're hardworking. Mm -hmm. They are the employees that are responsible for selling the services and delivering the services, which is unique. Most of the time, those roles are separated in business. So this whole industry has these uniquenesses to them. When I started in this business, I thought it was going to be a nice wrapped up team development exercise where I would just get everybody motivated and turn them loose and they would all run for the stars and and take me with them. And that would be awesome. And we would all have so much fun. Well, it's not true. I have 
everybody from every background that works for me. I have homosexuals, I've had lesbians, I've had single moms, I've had teen parents, I've had dads that are being garnished for child support, I've had active felons, I've had former felons, I've had people who've been to prison, I have people who have been homeless, I have drug addicts, alcoholics, I have literally the lost and forgotten on earth that all work in here. And most people don't notice it. They come in and get their hair cut, and they don't even realize that so-and-so's mom just passed away, or so-and-so's best friend just died from a drug overdose, or so-and-so isn't sure what they're going to do because their car just got impounded. I have heard every story under the sun. I even had an employee not show up because they were in jail overnight. I mean, like I have all kinds of things happen. This is not your typical business. Dealing with that was... And those are things you... We're aware of or not aware of no. stepping into this? No, I was... You had a completely different vision of totally. how it would work. I was way out of my element, very surprised. But this is the way that God surprises us. He called me into the business, and it checks off my five things. And I didn't really know exactly how it was going to check them all off. I just felt them checking off. And the last one, right, do God's work every day. Yeah. I thought I had some idea of how that might play out in this particular business. I thought it might be something about spreading the gospel in our community. Yeah, I was wrong. people unconditionally. Yeah, I was wrong. He was stretching me as a leader. Yeah. That's what he was doing. He was stretching me, creating a better leader out of me. I was going to have to love my employees. I was going to teach them what it means to be a child of God. I was going to have to motivate them. I've been to A meetings with my employees. I've sat all night in the hospitals with my employees. I have given them extra money, advances and things to help them pay for things. I've picked them up and taken them to work. I've picked them up and taken them to church. I have done things that usually there's a divide. I've had employees come over to my house regularly and spend time and talk and pray and all kinds of things. I've gone out to dinner with my employees. I've done all the things that they say don't do. They say, well, you know, as a manager, as an owner, you need to maintain a healthy relationship with them. And that I have never has agreed some kind of, with that. Yeah. Because you know what? How do you lead people and have a positive influence in the lives of people that you don't have a relationship with? Exactly. Right? They don't care what you know until they know how much you care. Exactly. That is spot on. And it doesn't always work yeah. as neatly as that Maxwell quote. Unfortunately, because I've cared for an awful lot of people, like these people I told you about before, that left, that left and didn't right, pay off left. their loans. These people I care deeply about, and they don't return it. They don't know how. They're so broken and so empty. We say here at Locals that we sell confidence, not haircuts. People are really coming to us to buy confidence. They're not coming to shorten their hair follicles. Nobody does that. There's no rule or law that says you got to have a haircut. That's why some people have long hair, and some people have short hair, and some people have colored hair, and some people don't. So... They come because they like the way they feel. They're after a feeling. I figured that out because I know marketing. What I didn't figure on is the fact that you can only give someone confidence if you have confidence. And my employees largely didn't have confidence. And it became my job as a shepherd, so to speak, is to give them confidence. That's really the majority of my role here. What did that look like? Some of these people that, I mean, you're not talking about like, okay, they're here, I need to get them across the, the yeah. canyon. Like, how do they take that next small step that just builds it a little bit? Yeah. You listen. Mm-hmm. You talk to them. You care about the things that are important to them. Right. You recognize them for every little win. You recognize them on their birthdays. You call them out of the places that they hide. You give them hope. We here at Locals lay out a career track for them that's generally more robust than the average barbershop's career track. Generally, they don't have any idea how they're going to get more successful, higher pay, more responsibility. Generally, they don't know those kinds of things. You can go to more corporate-style salons and find those more established career tracks, but the feel is so much different that they just don't feel the connection as well to corporate salons. They get the career development, but they don't get the personal development, right? right. Or you can go to a hole-in-the-wall barbershop and become best friends with the owner, and you guys have a great time personally, but you have no career advancement. And so they, these things have been bifurcated in our industry for a very long time. They've been fragmented. There's not a lot of places where You've mentioned this is a successful shop. We win Best of Colorado Springs almost every year. And 
that gives them something to grow into. Mm. Or some pride there, right? They were part of something cool. Exactly. Yeah. And a future, right? Yeah. It's more than just a hole-in-the-wall barbershop with a couple of chairs in it. It's an actual future. It's got legs. It's got somewhere to go. They can rise to level of manager, for example, whereas some of these hole-in-the-wall places don't even have managers. You know, they're just too small. Or they're coming and renting a chair. They're not really part of a team. Exactly. Right? Yeah, there's a lot of things that are wrong with the industry that tend to keep them static, stuck. And so they have to decide sometimes between material success or advancement or personal satisfaction. Somebody who knows them, somebody who listens to them. So we try to blend those two things and say, look, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You can come here, be part of something bigger than yourself, and also we'll care for you as a person that you are. We'll love you. We'll listen to you. If you need time off because you're sick in the hospital, we'll give it to you and we won't rake you over the coals of our corporate manual that says you're not allowed to have that much time off. We give them opportunities like the barbershop in a box where they can go overseas and train. We give them opportunities where they can be part of building things like that. Most My team is involved in building that, not just joining it, but creating it. Being and part of it. Being part of it, yeah. It's meaningful. Exactly. Right. So those are ways that we give them confidence is investing in them opportunities for them to grow, for them to build, for them to have more purpose than just showing up, punching the clock, making the money and going home. And while everybody in this industry will say, oh, I have a great relationship with my clients. I do it all for my clients. The reality is every industry is that way. You could have a salesman who sells soap and he would be like, yeah, it's for my clients. I really love doing this for my clients. No. Yeah, I love, you like I cashing love having clean clients. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> So, Etienne, you mentioned one of your five things was international, and you just yeah. mentioned Barber in a Box. Talk a little bit more about that and what you're trying to do overseas. Yeah, that's great. We're still developing the next iteration of it this year, but we're hoping to go overseas this year. It was one of the things that clicked almost right away. Uh, one of my barbers, Big Jeff, we call him, has been around longer than anybody else, and he had developed a kit, a suitcase, basically, a briefcase. And in the kit, he had customized the interior so that it would hold his barbering tools. And I looked at that and I said, why did you customize this? And he said, well, because you can't buy anything like this. Really? Why do you need it? Well, because my tools are the tools of my trade. They own their tools. They bought their tools. They invest in their tools. Those tools enable them to make money. And they're not cheap. And they're not cheap at all. Yeah. So a safe place to store and transport these tools was important. Um, there are some offerings out there, toolboxes and things like that that are close. This one he had customized specifically to his tools so that it holds your clippers, your razors, your combs, your shears, all the important things and doesn't allow them to bang together or get dull or anything like that. I looked at that and I said, and it clicked. I said, could we mass produce this? I mean, you built this basically in your basement. He goes, yeah, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to make any more. He's, I'm a barber. I'm, other people have said they want one. I solved my own problem. Right. Yeah. I don't have time to be doing this. And it, also, it took me like two weeks. And so that just wouldn't be profitable either. And I said, okay, I can probably mass produce this. I've had experience in that in the past. This is where my experience comes into the game here. Uh, totally unrelated to barber. But I'd gone to China and I'd had some products created over in China to specifications and so I started doing research. Were there any case manufacturers? We found the manufacturer of the same case that he had used as a prototype. And we said, hey, can you CNC mill the interior of this, you know, there's some foam to our specs? And they said, absolutely, of course we can. And so it began to come together in my mind almost like God was just downloading it directly into my head. I was not creating this. I was not brilliant enough to come up with this. It's like it came together in four seconds. And you're following Big Jeff's model. Yes. Yeah. So immediately, as soon as I thought about I could mass produce these, I got in my mind and you could take them overseas and train people and make micro businesses out of them. I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. Where'd that come from? So I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Let's flesh this out. So I began asking around to people who know more about this than I do. So I asked a lady who had owned a school, a barbering school, for a long time, and she was a Christian, and I had said to her, okay, in America it takes a long time to train barbers and stylists because of all the regulations and rules that we have to follow, all the laws we have to follow. What if you had none of those? How long would it take you to just teach people how to cut hair? She says, two weeks. I said, 
two weeks. I could How be long two does it weeks. take here out of curiosity? Like 18 months. Wow. Yeah. I said, I, we could do that. I could send somebody overseas for two weeks to do a training course. So can we develop a training course that's two weeks long? Can we condense it all? She said, absolutely. We totally could. And she laid the groundwork that we ultimately ended up modifying and transforming into the two-week training course that we have now. At the same time, it began to be obvious to me that I'm not the only one who needs to be involved in this. Other barbers and stylists from other shops may want to go. Not only that, but if we take these kits that Big Jeff has created and fill them with all the tools they need to be successful in this, they're going to need the tools. And there's Paul Mitchells and Osters and Walls. And um, we had a group called Hanzo Shears. They're a huge shears company. If you're in the industry, you know what Hanzo Shears is. They're, they're the shears most people use. They're high end. Some of their shears can cost $1,000 a piece. Mm. They donated several hundred shears to us to fill the kits. Just donated them to us. Just gave them. As soon as we told them what the project was, as soon as we said, this is what we're doing, they said, absolutely, we're in. And so that began to be the first of what we hope will be the rest of all the tools. We have some other tools that have been donated and allocated to us. And we're working on building relationships with all the other big names in the industry, too. I mean, they have needs for marketing. They have social corporate responsibility ideas. They have extra profit that they're looking to do things with. People don't have to have a Christian mindset to just say, I want to make the, leave the world a better place than I found it. Yeah. So we Go tap give into people that. a means to make an income and change their entire situation exactly. in another country. Exactly. And so we leverage those relationships and we just go and tell them about the good work we're going to do. So I told a friend of mine who used to be a missionary in Laos and um, he said, you got to go. I said, all right, all right. He said, no, you really have to go. And he put me on a plane and took me to, to Thailand and Laos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And said, you need to look at these people and you need to meet some of these people and you need to see if this would work here because it could transform this country. It could give people a job a trade, a way to support themselves. The infrastructure in Laos is very difficult to move around. Transportation is very difficult to move around. It's very rural. Roads are, are not good. And so a mobile idea like this, this is not tied. This kit is not tied to a barbershop. You don't need a barbershop. If you have access to electricity of any kind, you can use all the tools in the kit. Plus, in the two-week training course, we teach people how to cut with the shears, which don't require electricity at all. So the reality is this thing can go anywhere, and the skill is in the hands of the student. So once they have the appropriate skill, it's just taking it to wherever they need it to go. So a rural context works perfectly for this, where there may not be a barber, there may not be a barber shop, they may not have the means to create a barber shop. They just want to literally set up a folding chair, prop up their toolbox, and begin to cut hair. And they can pay for food that day, or support their family that day, or if they're a missionary, they can get into a closed context as a barber, not as a missionary. Now they're coming in as a skilled tradesman, not as a so follower like of Jesus Christ. And they want to go into this village and create new relationships and have an influence. This is an entree. Yeah. Because I'm coming in of somebody providing a service. Exactly. So all of these things began to come together. Wow. And that's, that's how Barbershop in the Box was born. So I went to Laos and Thailand, and they received it well. They said, we could totally do that here. I talked to the senior pastor of the only state-sanctioned church in Laos and talked to him, and he said, absolutely. And he had great questions and good feedback to help me refine the model so that it actually worked in an actual context with actual people who need the help. And I talked to the team, and the team was like, absolutely. This would be amazing. And every other haircutter I've talked to said, that would be amazing. We would love to do stuff like that. Um, we have some friends of ours who own a, they live in Austin, Texas, and they own a school there. And they said, we've been already trying to do this and not doing it well. They said they had set up a school in Rwanda. For, for becoming a barber? Or for some... training people on how to be, well, in their case, they have a more salon context, not barber. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But they set up a fully functional salon school that mirrored their school here. And a year later, they were still like, it's not having the impact we had hoped for. When we tell them, hey, we've got this idea to just do it in two weeks, short increments, and to give them all the tools, they were like, Is it because the salon is tied to a location, and you're talking about giving somebody the tools to go wherever they need to go? Yes, go. and it's also more transactional-based. Hmm. So the salon school idea, they're coming, and they're doing the whole 18-month program. 
Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So these ladies, maybe they're coming out of uh, human trafficking kinds of situations. Right. And these ladies will come and take six months just to detox. Right. And then you can begin to teach them some of the technical skills. What we do is we partner with those detox programs. And we say, you find us some good students who have an aptitude for this and who are ready, then tell us when to show up. We show up, we do the training, and we leave. And it's two weeks, not 18 months. It's two weeks, That's not 18 months. Yeah, exactly. So it takes less overhead. It takes less of everything. It takes... Are you training people now? We are not right okay. now. Um, but we hope to, by the end of the year, go somewhere. We've got several places on our shortlist. Back to Laos and Thailand are both on our mm -hmm. shortlist. Belize in Central America is very easy to get to now. Um, some of the major American airlines have direct flights now. Mm -hmm. So that's an easy place to go. We've been there twice this year. We were there twice in 2018, laying the groundwork for that. We've been invited to Africa. We've been invited to France. We've been invited all over the world. Been invited to go back to Cambodia, India. Literally, our only limitation at this point is for me to have the bandwidth in my team and the funds to get all the materials and send people. That's literally our only limitation at this point. We have all the open doors. I bet you have a lot of volunteers right here that would love. Oh, they would love to go. My gosh, that'd be a, like trip of a lifetime. But they can't afford to go. Yeah. So they have to raise the finances to do it. They don't all have the networks that you and I might be used to having. Mm -hmm. And so they don't have access to that. So that's, they lean on us to provide that infrastructure for them to say, hey, we'll raise the money. We have to do it from our profits um, from the shop or we have to rely on people who are willing to donate. We've had some donations in the past. That's how I got to Laos and Thailand. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just because, you know, I'm not a super wealthy entrepreneur. I wish I was just a fabulously wealthy success story, but it's still all in progress. Everything's all in progress. So I keep reinvesting everything back into these things. Right. So when a new idea comes along, I have to, you know, I'm still tightening my belt. And it's a good place to be, honestly, because it makes me choose my decisions very carefully. Yeah. I have to weigh them before God and say, okay, should I go here? Should I go there? I don't have anything to waste. So um, when we choose to move forward with something, it's only because we've really vetted it out and feel that the Lord is commanding us to go. Yeah. Man, that's what an awesome story. Now, how do people find out more about what you're doing in the barbershop? What's the website for you guys here? So our website is localscut.com. Localscut.com. Yeah, localscut.com. And we don't tell our story very well on there. Facebook tells more of our story. Facebook.com slash localsbarbershop. But you can search for us on Facebook. We're the only locals barbershop in Colorado Springs. And that's where most of our story is told because it's a very relational business that we're in. We'll get better at telling it on our website, but especially as we gather stories from sending these people overseas. Yeah. One of the things that I'd really love to do, because it's not about just impacting the world out to there, so to speak. It's also about transforming us. Because all of a sudden we and I include us as the corporate we, but my team specifically, realizes that they have more to offer the world than they ever thought possible. When they go and they come back from a two-week training course, they are going to see that they have purpose in the world. Suddenly it's going to click in their minds, and I can see it happening already as though it's already happening. It is going to click in their They're minds. They're envisioning it, aren't they? God has created them for a purpose. Mm -hmm. They are not forgotten. They are not useless. In our society, they're some of the lowest on the stratus. They're some of the lowest in our culture. In other societies, they could be the highest. There are many layers below a skilled tradesperson. Goodness gracious. And yet here, these people often feel like, well, you know, I just show up and I grind it out and I'm working. Once they have gone overseas and they see the looks on the faces of the people who suddenly have a trade skill because they've sat through that training course, yeah, that they're the ones that gave them the gift of dignity exactly. and worth and be able to support themselves and not have to worry and be, you know, how do I feed my kids tonight? And you change, the, come back here and go, wow, I changed the future of the lives of a dozen people that were in our two-week class. Absolutely. And then you stay in touch with them. Absolutely. It just totally changes how you're going to view yourself. Yep. You know, I think you're right. You know, big, like my son went on a... He self-graduated after a couple years of college. This wasn't for him. <laughs> Went on a nine-month mission trip with YWAM. Uh -huh. And he got to serve a lot of people. But what really happened was a transformation in himself. His heart, who he was, how, who he saw himself was. You know. And he's operating with a, you know, without a college degree out in the business world with the most, with just extreme peace and purpose 
like this quiet confidence because he knows Humility. who he is mm -hmm. and he knows who God is. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that is powerful. You can't buy it. And no. you certainly don't learn it in school. No, you don't, especially in Colorado, in the public school system. Mm -hmm. We were just talking about that. So as we wrap up, as people listening, right, your journey, what are just some final thoughts that you'd like to leave with the folks? That's a good question. I don't know. I guess to kind of sum up what we've been talking about, it's so much fun. It's such an adventure that God leads us on. It's all about obedience to him. It's not what seems like the riskiest things. If God is calling you to it, the world cannot stand against you. Those are the safest things. It's actually riskier to resist his will and to stay wherever it is you think is actually safer. Whether that's in some job, whether that's in some relationship, whatever it is, where God is calling you is where you're meant to be. And that is where he is going to support you. He will give you every resource necessary to overcome and to accomplish everything that he's put out in front of you. So just search for it. It's worth it. Pursue it. Spend everything you have to get it. It's worth it. I'm having more fun. I'm more challenged. I'm growing faster than I've ever grown. And this is simultaneously the hardest and the easiest thing I've ever done. <laughs> hardest and easiest. You know what? I so... I can totally relate to exactly what you said. I know exactly what you mean, man. Like, it's like just the grind, but in the middle of that grind is like just joy, mm -hmm. right? That's just burning bright. And you wouldn't trade one for the other. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, you rock. You're awesome. <laughs>